Thank you, choir. Well, how are we doing this morning, church? Okay? Anybody hungry for God's Word? Or should we just go home? Let's get ready to eat. We've been feasting already. Take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. My original intent for us this morning was to study the entire chapter, uh, this eighth chapter in the book of Acts, but I felt the Lord wanted me to take a little different turn. We're only going to be looking at 20-some verses of this, the first uh, 20-some verses, uh, chapter 8, verse 4 through 24 today, and we'll pick up next week on the rest of that. But uh, whenever I make a change like that, we got to work a little bit harder to follow together because uh, I, I made the decision after our PowerPoint stuff is made. So I'm going to speak a little bit slower, if you can write a little bit faster, and uh, we will uh, kind of journey together. If you'd like to take notes, those are available for you in the bulletin. But take your Bible and look with me at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Remember, we just read about Stephen being stoned. He was a martyr. We pick up at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowd heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of Many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. I think I'd have joy too if I had a demon cast out of me and I had a body that was not working right began to work properly. Verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was... Someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also the ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray that the Lord, pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with our hearts 
eager to hear from you. And so, Lord, I ask again that you would not only breathe on your word, but, Lord, I I pray specifically today that you will remove any distractions from our eyes or our ears and allow us not to hear a good study, but, Lord, allow us to hear your voice clearly today. I thank you in advance, Father, for what you're going to teach us through your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. People are are basically selfish. You are selfish. I am selfish. At our heart's core, the way we were born, we were born with a bent towards ourself. It's a malady that we all have inherited from birth. Just ask any parent who has remember a good memory of their two-year-old child that toddler thinks the world revolves around them no one had to tell them that they think the world revolves around them just by nature they they understand that they quickly learn to communicate with the wonderful phrases of that's mine no i don't want to i don't like it no one has to tell them what to do they begin to discover what it is they want Just try and take something from that toddler or from that grandchild of yours. That cute little darling suddenly turns into a raging, stubborn tyrant. Selfishness is ingrained at the very DNA level of who we are. Why? It's this monster inside of us. It's what I think, though I don't know that he's talking of spiritual terms, what the comedian Brian Regan talks about in his routines of the me monster. He talks about this social phenomenon that takes place that you don't have to be around very many people till you meet someone who loves to talk about themselves. Over and over and over, it's me, 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 I, I did this, I did this. And, and if you begin to tell a story, they just wait and can't wait till your story ends so they can one-up your story and tell one better. Brian shares with his crowd that, you know, be careful if you ever share a story, uh, this great trauma you went through if you had two wisdom teeth removed. Because, undoubtedly, it always will happen, whenever you share a story about how you had two impacted wisdom teeth removed, someone within earshot will say, I had four removed. And they were like super impacted, upside down, and the roots coming through your nostrils and different things. In fact, it proved true after the end of last service. Someone came to me and said, Pastor Brady, I had five wisdom teeth removed. They told me that. And they were having fun with me. It was their real life story, but they were having fun with me. But, but there's something in us that just wants to one-up somebody's story. Something in us, maybe if that's not your personality to tell the story, but wants to have a little bit more rights or a little bit more comfort or be taken care of or thought of a little bit more than the person around us. I mean, how much time does it take you in a restaurant when the food is not coming promptly enough for you to do that mental math as you scan the room and say, I was here before them and before them and and they got their food fast. I mean, something inside you says, wait, 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 not fair. What about me? It's that selfishness inside that comes up. The Bible calls what? Brian Regan says is the me monster. He he calls it this social phenomenon. The Bible talks about this as our sinful nature. It will destroy you if it's not defeated. We all recognize this beast living within us, but we have different ways of, of dealing with it. Some try to pacify the beast only to find out that it grows stronger and stronger and more powerful. Others try to fight it in their flesh to to live in constant defeat because they're failing at beating this beast inside of them. Some even try to 
project an image of unselfishness. They have this glossy, thin veneer covering up the me monster inside. And so from a distance, it looks like they've got this thing taken care of. But it doesn't take much storms of life for the me monster to to burst through and the selfishness just leaps right out again. There's only one cure for this monster within, this selfishness, this sinful nature. And it's what we're going to be talking about this morning in the 8th chapter of Acts. As we're on this journey through the book of Acts together, I want us not to hear a history lesson, not just to get some good nuggets of truth, but I am absolutely confident with every fiber of my being that God has something specifically for you and for me again today that is not only so relevant, but it is powerful and it will have an eternal impact if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Now with that kind of opening or billing, I don't want you to be impressed by what I'm going to tell you because what I'm going to say is going to probably be extremely average. But what God wants to say to you is going to be immensely powerful through His Word. Some have observed, to live is to suffer. The voice of experience can tell us that this statement is true. The issue is not, will you suffer, will I suffer? The issue is, what will we suffer for? There's nothing more hopeless and and, and despair that hits our heart when we suffer with with no purpose no meaning it's pointless suffering there's nothing more strengthening on the other hand than suffering that leads to redemption or to some greater purpose defeating the me monster paves the way for suffering to be redemptive in our life and so the whole purpose of of why we even look at this selfishness and putting it in check and getting it crucified the flesh taken care of so the holy spirit can run free in our life is there is a redemption in our life and the lives of people around us that god wants to do a miraculous thing in and through this will help us this morning to look at two aspects of christianity the authentic and the phony, the real and the fake, the genuine and the counterfeit. I want us to look this morning at this authentic Christianity. If you're taking notes, uh, jot this down. It's at the top of that page. We first see Philip, and, and Philip is an example for us of authentic Christianity. Looking at the first, uh, four verses of our section this morning, verse four through eight. We're going to begin to see this take place in his life. I want us to consider these characteristics of authentic Christianity and contrast them with phony Christianity. But before we do, I think sometimes we need to be be very aware of our cultural bias when we hear certain words. Pastor Edgar was wise to help us have a glossary of terms as we sang that song this morning because sometimes we, we miss the meaning of something because uh, God hasn't changed, His truth hasn't changed, but culture has changed our, our language. And so when we look at the authentic, the genuine, and we look at the phony and the fake, it came to my mind of the things growing up that was taught to me. I won't forget being in fifth grade, in my heart's desire, the greatest thing I wanted was my own pair of Michael Air Jordans. It wasn't good enough to have Nike. It wasn't good enough to have some kind of Air tennis shoe. I, I just, if I could just somehow get a pair of Air Jordans, it probably would have like changed my life forever. I was convinced of it. And they were authentic, but, but knowing that this was a desire of mine, my dad and his good intentions got me a pair of L.A. gear tennis shoes that had the same color scheme. 
Now, a few of you, maybe from a similar generation, or maybe you had that issue with your kids, was not what I had hoped for. And, And they're great tennis shoes, but at that day and age, and at that time, it was greatly embarrassing to be seen in L.A. gear tennis shoes that were clearly a knockoff of what the Air Jordans really were. And authentic and phony was ingrained in my mind at that time is that this is very expensive and these are very cheap and and a very shallow understanding that reflected back on my value as a fifth grader and, and I was L.A. gear material, not Air Jordan material. We're going to come back to some of those understandings of what is authentic and what is phony and what is fake and what it says about us and what we have to do to achieve that. But let's look at this authentic Christianity. Philip's life, an example of his life, reminds us that true blue Christianity thrives amidst persecution. So if you're taking notes, jot that down. Authentic Christianity, and the first thought underneath that is that authentic Christianity thrives in the, amidst persecution. I don't know about you, if, if you can go to the grocery store and if you can pick out fruit that tastes good every time, I'm about to give up on it. I can never find the, the right oranges. Now, as soon as I say this, I'm going to have a host of people come up after me and tell me how to do it. If, if it works, tell me. If not, I don't want to hear some story that didn't work because I've tried these different things. But, but the grocery store that I shop at, they will cut a, a piece of fruit, whether it's a grapefruit or an, an orange. I've totally given up on cuties. Those are ridiculous. One bag tastes great and the other bag tastes horrible. I can't figure it out. But sometimes they will cut the fruit in half, wrap it in cellophane and say, quality control. You ever go to a grocery store like that? And it sits out there and you can just see how good it is inside. But the problem is... That one is good, and I found that there's some not good ones mixed up in the bunch where the good one was right there. And I've been tempted to try to take that one, but that's kind of weird. I don't know if you're allowed to buy that one. That's the example. That's the whatever. And so, short of just like opening it up, I haven't found a great way to know. When we look at this authentic Christianity, the best way that I can imagine this or see this in my mind's eye is it's not that Christians are lovers of, of suffering, But when we are squeezed in from every side, what is inside will come out. And those who are authentically living for Jesus, those who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, something sweet has taken place inside of them. And as we saw last week, when we saw Stephen, he was stoned. In the midst of his stoning, his words began to sound a lot like Jesus. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Squish. Out comes the good juice of Jesus. Persecution... Helps the authentic Christian thrive in the midst of that it takes place. Also, we see that in this authentic Christian life, it is centered on Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people about the Messiah. It was central to his message. He was focused on Jesus Christ. If you want a universal barometer that will tell you whether a ministry is an authentic Christian ministry or not, they must be focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Christ and the work of Jesus Christ, not any man, not some creed, not some system of beliefs, but the risen Lord of Jesus Christ. The Samaritans, they were of a different group of people. They were a different race, a different breed. And and here we find Philip, who was a full-blooded Jew, going to those who were not like him. And his heart was not to do good. It wasn't even to try to build race relations or try to have uh, some kind of equality take place. The equality he saw was, you're human, I'm human, I'm in desperate need of a Savior. Jesus is the answer, let me tell you the message. 
It was centered on Jesus Christ. It wasn't good works. It wasn't his political plan. It wasn't other things. It was centered on Jesus Christ. Authentic Christianity is not only thriving in persecution, centered on Jesus Christ. It's also defined by God's power. Look at verse 6. Crowds listened intently to what he had to say because of the miracles that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. When the me monster is defeated, when Christ is on the throne and the Holy Spirit has freedom to move in our life, God begins to empower us to do His work. Now we should not follow the signs and wonders and say, it's that power that I want, but when I follow God and surrender to Him, the signs of what He is doing, the fruit of what He is doing, will show up in my life. These marks of this authentic Christianity. Next, this final part in this section. Authentic Christianity results in inward joy. Verse 8, so there was great joy in the city. It's a byproduct of the message of Jesus Christ. When people receive it, when God does a work in their life, joy comes. Of course there was joy. It's a characteristic of any group of people who love and praise God. What makes us so genuinely joy-filled, not only as Christians of old, but Christians here today and, and this church here at Grace Point, is the fact that we have been gloriously freed from sin. We have been freed from bondage. And we know that Satan has no power over us anymore. Amen? Amen. This is where joy comes from and understanding what God has done for us. There is a reason to be joyful. There's a reason to shout praises to God. There's a reason to be happy in the Lord. And that's what happened in Samaria. And Jesus had given them genuine joy. And they were happy in the Lord. But I ask you this morning, these are the litmus tests of authentic Christianity. How does that fit and square with where you're at? I'm not trying to get you to doubt your walk with God. I'm not trying to discourage you or or defeat you today. I'm just saying, is that evidenced in your life or not if it is then then celebrate what god's doing and maybe start with the question are you joyful are are you happy i'm not talking about some silly frivolous emotion but a deep profound joy is there laughter in your heart if the laughter has stopped why who made you grim who who made you discourage the enemy he's whispering lies at you beating you down with things let's say life is grim it is so serious it is heavy it is dark it is such a struggle no for the christian there are things that squeeze us and come at us but there is joy that comes because of the god who is saving us in the midst of that struggle i find that in samaria and here at grace point People are having the time of their life, even in the midst of persecution. I found that it's true in our family here. The people around you who, who are experiencing great joy, a great majority of them, the authentic Christians among them, it's not because life is perfect. It's not because they've gotten everything that they've wanted. It's not because the road is so smooth ahead of them. Some of them, if you hear their story, you'd go, oh my goodness, what is wrong with them? Why are they not so depressed? Why are they not so cranky? What is wrong? Because they have the joy of the Lord in the midst of the struggle. Now, it can be phony and fake, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but but this is evidence of the joy of the Lord coming out in our life. 
Whenever Jesus is preached, the power of God is going to be seen. Joy will sprout up everywhere. There will always be somebody else in that midst who want to cash in on the benefits of an authentic move of God. Anytime there is an authentic group of Christians, you'll always find phony Christians mixing in with them. I call them the oranges that play tricks on me at Kroger. There's the split in half orange that says certified good, and someone crawled in there with an orange that was not certified good. It happens all the time. As the church, there'll be people who come. Now, they're not evil, bad people. What happens? This me monster, this selfishness rises up and, and it doesn't allow what God wants to do in our life. And so there is a phoniness, there is a fakeness, there's a pretending that takes place. Let's look at that for a minute. You'll see how this counterfeit version of Christianity mimics the genuine. But the substance is very different. For example, authentic Christianity thrives amidst persecution, but jot this down, phony Christianity thrives amidst sensationalism. Now, now the phony Christian doesn't thrive when things get tough. They thrive when there's sensationalism going on, when there's all kinds of emotionalism going on, when there's a party that's happening for them going on. When they feel good, they thrive. And there is this thriving, but it's, it's not the same thing. At its very substance, it's very different. The message paraphrase renders this verse uh, this way. A, uh, a certain Simon had practiced magic in the city, dazzling all the Samaritans with his wizardry. We find here in the New Living Translation, verse 9, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years. The same verse, the paraphrase in this New Living Translation. See, a, a phony Christian loves a show. They love the production because it gratifies the flesh. And this me monster inside, this selfishness that the two-year-old and all of us is still raging strong, says it's, it's all about getting what I want. All too often the church in America has fed this kind of spiritual consumerism. Because many churches have lost a sense of God's given vision and mission that is very real, practical, and tangible in their midst. They are trading that in to try to just attract people. And so the people who may say, I, I don't like the show at this particular church, they can always try to find a show at another church that they like, and there's a great tragedy taking place that promotes a counterfeit, a fake, a phony Christianity. I think if Simon, this one who was giving, we're given a picture of him kind of being this counterfeit, phony understanding of salvation in Jesus Christ, if he was shopping for a church, he may like the commercial that we're about to see together. Watch the screen with me. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guy. Right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church. But we sure like to know who does. 
All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. <laughs> Me Church, where it's all about you. I think if we would look into the text and begin to see what Simon the sorcerer is, has going on in his heart, this may smell a lot like what he was feeling and thinking about Christianity. And we can watch a video like that, and it's humorous because it's over the top, and surely that's not what takes place. But like most humor, there is a seed or a root of truth that makes it ring true to a point. This past week, I read an article by Keith Drury, and in this article, he observes, over the last two decades, the emphasis of churches has shifted from winning souls to growing churches. The trouble is some churches have discovered that it's a whale of a lot easier to get people to come to church and to get them to come to an event than to get them saved and sanctified. They're willing to settle for attendance and participation, and many evangelicals hardly notice that much of the church growth, per se, was merely crop rotation. We recruited easily bored customers from their less exciting churches into our more motivational gathering. With our preoccupation with church growth, the lost world has been largely untouched by the gospel. And so at the heart of this is not trying to do church a certain way or to act a certain way or to have a certain attitude, but it is a very big threat to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've said it before, and you'll hear it thousands more times from my heart. I'm convinced that we have a missing generation from church, not because church is boring and not because church is, is out of touch, though church sometimes is boring and sometimes out of touch. But we have a missing generation from church because they don't see the power of God in church. If we only have people come to church because it's, it's exciting or it, it, it checks some boxes of what I like or because I think it fits what I hope to have this week, that is good. God's Word is relevant. God's Word is not boring. But if that's all it is, minus the power of God, we will lose them again and again. It's this idea of an authentic Christian and a phony Christian. In rapid fire, I'm going to move faster now. Let's look at some of these marks of a phony Christian. It's this self-centered life. It's a life that is centered on self. Look at verse 9. And claiming to be someone great. Simon made extraordinary claims about himself. This meme monster, the favorite phrase is, it's all about me, like we saw in that last commercial. It's not only uh, the phony Christian thrives amidst sensationalism, and not only is phony Christianity centered on self, but phony Christianity is defined by counterfeit power, not the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10 and 11. The Samaritan people, from the least to the greatest, often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. He was very influential because of the magic he performed. Church, anytime we are depending on power that is not of God, it's not just kind of like second best. It's, it's not of God. If it's not of God, it's of the devil. 
and the things of the world will not only not satisfy, it will lead you far from God. And the power of the demonic is a very real thing that we don't want to mess with. What is it that is giving source of strength in my life? It wasn't sleight of hand magic. It was supernatural power that he tapped into that was not of God. Church, we need to keep our discernment sharp. Be wary of any demon that is dressed up as an angel of light. How do we know? Christ will not be central. The full counsel of God's word will not be faithfully and clearly taught. Remember, Satan will often try to project counterfeit healing as real healing. But yet it still produces greater pain in the end. It just moves from one area to another. In other words, it's not transformational power. It's, it's this transference. So this area in our life that hurts, the enemy will give us a solution that may have some temporary numbing effect, but it moves the pain to another area. So we exchange one addiction for another secret addiction. We change this, this paralyzing embarrassment of this failure in our life for a secret hold that satan has on our life that we're no longer embarrassed we've got a good facade but now we are empty inside he has no power to transform it's just transference of one type or another we begin to see phony christian faith results not in joy but results in outward show i'll never forget that when i was in college one of my jobs to make some money in the summers was to clean houses I worked real hard for my wife not to know that I did that as a job early on. I would have thought it would have been best for me as a husband to claim ignorance on not knowing how to clean things. But I had to come clean and say that I, I worked as a house cleaner. Not a real manly job, I didn't feel like, but it, it paid the bills. I needed that. And uh, in this cleaning crew that I was a part of, many of the houses that we would clean were very, very wealthy people. Mansions, very, very large houses. And I, I didn't like cleaning rooms that I was pretty confident no one walked in since the last time I cleaned it. And so I would come up with my own little, you know, booby traps to figure out if someone walked in there. I'd place a piece of paper here and do this with a doorknob. And when I would come back and I would open it, no one had been here. I surely don't have to clean it again. No one's been in there. And one day I walked into this room that, sure enough, no one had been in there since I had cleaned it last time, a week and a half or two weeks ago. And I walked in, and and this time I looked at the room a little bit differently, and I saw the furniture, though it kind of looked nice. When you get close, it was the particle board type furniture. It was kind of cheesy. It was... It wasn't great quality, and it surprised me. And so I talked to my supervisor. I'm like, this is an amazing house. What's up with this furniture? And they said, yeah, this happens a lot. Don't sit on any of the chairs. The furniture is meant for show. It's not meant to be used. This room is meant for show. It's not meant to be used. And I'm like, obviously, it's not been in. No one's walked in here since I cleaned it last. And it kind of reminded me of, of how in our walk with God, there's things that sometimes we want God for show, but not to be used. A couple of years ago, I, I tried my hand at gardening. It didn't turn out very well, but I, I tried to do a little bit of gardening. And so I went to Lowe's and I got a, a shovel. And, and, and I looked at all the shovels and some were expensive and they had one of my favorite. They were cheap. It was great. I love this. And it said weekend use right on it. I thought, that's for me. I'm just going to garden on the weekend. Now, my grandfather, Pappy, he, he would, wouldn't be about any weekend use. I mean, he used his shovel forever and ever and years and years and generations. And it was scarred up and tattered. And there was blood stains on the shovel from burying animals that he'd taken care of and all kinds of stuff. And it was just a shovel shovel. But I had a pretty purple-handled shovel. It was great. Until I tried it. And the very first weekend, it broke. And, and I began to see that there's a reason why certain shovels cost more. If you plan on using it for any period of time, just buy the one that you should buy. Some of you are looking at me like, duh, why did you not know that? I didn't know that. 
But I think sometimes as Christians, we enter into a relationship with Jesus with the intention, it's just for weekend use. I'm going I'm to use every Sunday. Every Sunday I'm going to use it, but it's just for weekend use. And we wonder why we're failing and things fall apart because we're not going to invest in anything that's meant to stand the test of time from generation to generation to generation. And if my grandfather was alive to help me with that gardening project, he would have said, here, take this shovel. It will last you and your child for their entire life. Is, is your faith one that is being built up to pass on from one generation to the next? As we come to an end of this section of Scripture, we see Peter is confronting this me monster. And he gives three quick things. He says, quit trying to earn God's favor. Peter confronts the me monster and tell him to quit trying to earn God's favor. Then he says, be honest about my selfishness and finally repent and humble myself before God. Peter's confronting the me monster. He says, quit trying to earn God's power, God's favor. Be honest about your selfishness and repent and humble yourself before God. And look at verse 21 with me. It says, you can have no part in this, for your heart is not right before God. That's Peter talking to Simon. If you write in your Bible, I encourage you to circle that phrase. Your heart is not right. If you're going to be used by God, you've got to trust God to defeat the me monster. Your heart has to be right. As we close this morning, I'm convinced that when we hear authentic Christian and phony Christian, some of us go back to middle school days when we think about having the right label, the right thing, the right toy, the right crowd say something about us. And if we don't, then therefore we have no worth. And there's this, if you could just get it. I never wanted a hundred dollars so bad for a pair of sneakers as I did in, in fifth grade. If I could just get it, it wouldn't be a hundred dollars. It would be who I am. And, and this is not the picture of authentic Christianity. It's not about having name brand designer Christianity that you've just got all the right stuff going on. In fact, that smells more like the counterfeit. It's about the show. It's about the label. But a better example is the weekend use shovel. It's not that you have some kind of designer, really cool faith that's so trendy and hip or it just looks so shiny on the outside, but it's intended for daily use. It's built in such a way that it's going to last the test of time. And this authentic Christianity, it thrives under persecution. Not because we like trouble, because it produces things in us. It's centered in on the name of Jesus Christ. It is seeing the evidence of the fullness of the Spirit in our life. And as we close this morning, I guess I feel impressed to ask you, where is, is your faith? Authentic Christianity, do you see the litmus test there lining up with what you're experiencing? Or do you see some of the me monster coming up in your life and it's, it's, it's bordering some of this phony stuff? Now, here's what Satan's going to do this morning. Satan's going to jump on your shoulder and go, see? Pastor Brady's saying you're a no good nothing. Wearing those L.A. gear tennis shoes as a Christian, you're worthless. You start feeling that way? That's Satan. What God is saying is, it is so much harder to try to pretend to be a spirit-filled Christian than it is to just let God do it in your life. 
What, what was the first thing that Peter tells him to do? Hey, 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 don't try to earn it. You can't buy this. You can't outwork this. You can't outstudy this. You can't outperform this. It's a gift from God. It's not about what you grab. It's what you let go of before God. And then, then he calls us to humble ourselves. To pray. To repent. When I confess, I'm saying the same thing about something that God says. God, this area of selfish in my life, it doesn't smell like you. When I cut the orange open, it, it doesn't always look like you. And I don't want that there. God doesn't want to make you feel like a second-rate person. He says, let me fill you with the power of my spirit. As we close this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me and bow your head and close your eyes. If that freaks you out, just stare at your shoes. I'm not trying to manipulate you anyway. I just want you focusing on God. I don't want you focusing on anybody else. In a matter of minutes, we'll be out of here and you'll be on your way to whatever responsibilities you have today. But if God is speaking to you today from this passage of Scripture, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you in any way. I just feel like you need to go on record between you and God, and I'm going to be praying for you. I just want you to slip your hand up where you're at. Nobody else is looking but me. God has seen your heart. You just lift your hand up, and you can put it down. Once you put it up? Thank you. If God's speaking to you, raise your hand. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Raise your hand. Good. Good. There's no power in raising your hand, but you're just saying, yeah, God's speaking to me. Yep. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Don't wait for someone else. Thank you. Good. Good. Thank you. Here's what I want to invite you to do today. You can put your hand down if your hand's up. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to do a tough thing that the me monster inside of you will scream out, Not a chance! This is not about your self-worth. This is about you letting God bring victory in your life. And so if God is speaking to you, it may be about what I'm preaching about. It may be about something that's a million miles away, but you want to obey what God's telling you. As Pastor Edgar sings this song, don't wait for anyone else. I want you to step out and come to these altars. It's a place that we pray. And we're going to ask God's blessing on your life. Notice that Peter didn't say, hey, hey, hey. You can't buy this from God. The me monster's creeping up in your life. You're hopeless. He said, no, no, no. Pray. Humble yourself. Ask God to fill you with the Spirit. This me monster isn't just some isolated problem with you. Every person in this room has had the desire to have things that come up before God. There, Ask God to, to take that and to crucify that in your life and give you His strength and power. If God's speaking to you, as Pastor Edgar sings... Don't wait. You just come. Meet me at this altar. And we're going to pray together. Don't wait for anybody else. You just move and obey God. My hope is found in Jesus. Pastor Brady, what will someone think of me if I step out and pray? They'll think you're making the best decision of your life. They'll think that you're, you're asking the God who created you to fill you in every part of your life.
Jesus. Don't come because I'm asking. You come because God's speaking to you. We'll see. Lord, you reign for eternity. This is the last time we're going to sing this song. If you want to move, this is the time to move right now. prepare to pray. If you have a friend who has come to pray with the Lord, I invite you to come pray with him as we pray now. I'd like men to pray with men, women to pray with women. Unless it's your spouse, let's just gather around a brother and sister. Help me, church. I don't want a man praying by himself. I don't want a woman praying by themselves. Carrie, come help me here. Thank you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your words that you give to us are not dead. They're not canned. They're not archaic. They are living and active. And Lord, I thank you that the authentic Christianity that you offer to us is not something that we earn, that we mastermind, that we perform, that we get it all perfect. It's a gift that you give to us. And so Lord, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters who've who've humbled themselves and said, God, I I want you to to take care of this in my life. Lord, I pray that you'll pour more of your spirit into them and displace the things in their life that's clouding and cluttering up what's going on. Lord, I pray for my brother and sister that maybe they're responding to what you're saying to them that may be a million miles away from what I preached about today, but they heard your voice clearly and they want to obey. I pray that you'll minister to them. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing at their seat today. I thank you for the victory that they have sensed in you. And God, would you give us a renewed sense of passion, a renewed sense of purpose, that as we live for you and our authentic faith, that you're calling us not to weekend use. You're calling us to a daily digging in in the things of you. And God, would you allow us to be a part of your mission to help center someone else on your son, Jesus, this week. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our midst. It's in your powerful name I pray. Amen and amen. Church, I want to thank you for your attention today. We're going to let those who've come to pray stay as long as they would like.